Hi, welcome to an Angry Black Woman podcast. I know you're wondering, okay, so why are they angry? Okay, tune in. We've got a show for you today. All right, well, we are here again for another episode of an Angry Black Woman podcast. I am um, really excited about today's show. Um, For those of you who don't know, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, uh, November is National um, Adoption Month. And so we have two shows this month where we are talking about different aspects of um, the adoption, um, the adoption process. And um, so I'm here with Red Dragon of Boyd, as as always. Don't forget to like, subscribe and follow. And of course, you can hear us on several uh, podcast platforms and we're on several social media platforms. So um, make sure you go and visit us there. How are you doing today, Red Dragon? I am doing okay. I'm good. doing okay. Good, good, good. So um, like I said, this is a two-part uh, episode and we will journey down the road with two different women who will share their adoption stories. And today we have Miss Reva Wilson. How you doing today, Reva? Hey, I'm good yourself. I'm doing good. So, you know, normally when people think about adoption, the notion of foster care comes to mind and being a part of that story doesn't necessarily compute, you know, like people just, people just go about their day and they don't really think about foster care uh and and then and then if they do it always 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 follows with a negative connotation um so many of us are acquainted with a friend or family member who was placed in foster care because of abuse or neglect or what have you whatever the situation was and of course in my own family uh it really was a source of a lot of contention between the aunts. So I had a, on my mother's side, I had quite a few aunts uh, when they were all uh, alive. And uh, one of the aunts died. She was one of the favorite aunts and she died and she had five boys. And so, you know, me being a youngster and and I, and I was always ear hustling and, you know, I would hear the arguments. I would hear the arguments about to place or not to place my cousins um, in adoption, uh, in foster care, to split them up. Like it was just, it was a horrible time in our family trying to, with the aunts trying to decide what to do. One of them ultimately uh, came to live with us. And then I don't know what happened, but he lived with us for a long time. And then I don't know what happened, but I guess maybe the state um, said that he had to go to foster care. And um, my mom just, I mean, she was broken. She cried. Oh my God, she cried. I don't know, a good, a good two weeks straight uh, when um, 
he was taken. And um and, and it, it it really was so bad that it 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 almost tore my whole family apart. Um so I was I was real young, but I you know I tried to get the 411. But uh a lot of times we don't we don't know what goes on in adoption. Uh I mean I'm sorry, in foster care. And we don't know everything that happens with foster care kids. And um, we hear about the atrocities. We hear about sometimes the stories where someone was placed in foster care and then adopted out of foster care. We hear a lot of different stories about foster care. But today, it is my great privilege uh, to have Reva join us uh, join our conversation to share her story. So uh, y'all need to like, subscribe, and follow because I know the story is getting ready to go down. It's getting ready to be good. Y'all need to hear this because this story, if I tell you when I heard this story, um, I was so inspired. I was inspired by this story. Y'all got, okay, like, subscribe, follow. Yeah. I'm going to shut up because y'all, Y'all got to hear this story. It is a wonderful testimony of strength and resilience. Reva, I'm so happy to have you with us today. Take us from the beginning. Um, I know it's not a long, long show, but take us from the beginning and share your story with us, if you will. So I was placed in foster care when I was about six or seven years old, about six years old. I'm the oldest of eight children. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, before being placed in foster care, home was crazy. Um, we moved around a lot. It was a lot of abuse going on. Um, it was a lot of things that was going on in the family that you would think is normal until you're not in that family and you see that it's not normal and it wasn't supposed to be normal, but you lived it like a normal life because that's all you knew as a child. Uh, when I was placed, the state came and removed us, but at the time of them trying to remove us, my mother and father at the time um, tried to get us you know, run away with the state trying to come. So we left through our back door and climbed over some gates to a couple of neighbors down for them to hide us out. But the neighbors, you know, turned us in because at the end of the day, they didn't want to be involved with what was going on. They, like, it's craziness. Um, My first foster home was me, my one brother, and my one sister at the time. It was four of us cooking. Um, at the time it was only, it was only us four that was born. Um, and three of us went to one home together and my baby sister went to another home. Um, the first foster home was crazy. Uh, we, they, we lived in the basement, um, but that's where we slept. We only had oatmeal all the time. Um, and let's for when I got really sick, I got so sick. Um, from something that my skin was peeling, I was throwing up, and they allowed me to sleep upstairs, you know, so that way I can get better. 
um, the home life there was so miserable that I ran away. Uh, and it just so happened. I ran away after school and it just so happened that we lived down the street from Shelton Hill Mall. So I ran away and sat at the mall. And somebody I seen from school came and they brought me into the mall and turned me into um, the Flossen film. When they filmed my information and sent me back to the home I was at, the lady beat me so bad with a, a telephone cord. And um, the next day, the next couple of days, we were going out of their home, me and my siblings. Um, once I left that home, I went to where my baby sister was at, and my brother and sister who was with me went to a home together. And that home was really nice. Um, at the time, I don't remember like the area, but as I got older, I recognized it more, and it was in uh, West Philadelphia. And um, it was really nice, but she it was a lot of kids that lived there. So we had went to what was called respite, where if the foster parent was going away or doing something or needed a break, the foster child or children will go stay with somebody else for like a few days and then they will go back. So me and my baby sister went to a respite home and we the lady ended up wanting to keep us. So after a while, once going back and forth between those two for a while, the two homes, we ended up staying with the lady who didn't have no children. And um, it was it was there that was up Germantown Avenue. And it was really nice, but I was in a state of depression, not knowing I was in depression at six and seven. You don't know what you're going through. You just know that you're sad all the time. You just want to go home. You, you're tired of moving around. You're tired of being in different homes. And I tried to commit suicide. I tried to unalive myself. Um, at that point, I went to a place called Child Guidance Children's Hospital. It's a, a um, children's hospital for um, children with either behavioral or behavior problems. And I was there. It was actually a few different times in my life um, as a child. Um, and went to multiple different homes after that. And it's just like, Nothing seemed to get better for me. Therapy never worked. Um, but while I was in the phone in my foster home in Germantown, we was in church one Sunday, and the pastor was talking about something. I'm not quite can't quite remember exactly what he was talking about, but I know it was about you know watching your children and people not you know taking advantage of them. And at that point, that's when I told my foster mom that um, I was sexually assaulted, that I was raped and had to go through details with her and then had to go through details with social workers. And for years, it was a process. Um, we found the, I had to go to different doctor's appointments to get checked to, you know, prove that, you know, what I was saying was true. We even got ready to go to court and I never had my day in court. I was about 11 and I was prepping for court and I was at a place called Surrey Springs at that time in Philadelphia. And I was with a new foster home by then and they was prepping me for court 
and I was going to the courthouse and they was telling me what, you know, you know, just like you would see it on TV, how they do children on TV. They prep you, they sit you there, you sit, you know, where you're going to sit at, you know, the where the people are going to be at, the judge, you know, you don't have to look at that person if you don't want to, you know, all of, I, I was, I was ready. I was ready to share my story. And he went to the judge the day of court and told the judge, I plead guilty. So I never got my closure. Mm. For years, it haunted me. So mm -hmm. it only more and more a state of oppression. And I didn't want to, for a long time, I wouldn't deal with guys. I wouldn't have a boyfriend. I couldn't have a male doctor, a male therapist. I couldn't be alone with male staffs. Don't give me a male teacher. Like, any of it. It it took a long time for me to be comfortable with with guys being in the same room with a guy or a boy or anybody because of all the drama or the trauma I went through. But people get the notion that, you know, you have to once you go into foster care, you're gonna be adopted. At thirteen they asked me if I wanted to be adopted. I told them no. I wanted to give my biological mother a chance to come get me. Which never happened. I ended up finding her at 18. But my brothers and sisters was all adopted. They told me that they was going to get adopted. We went to visits every two, every other week. And then the visits got to the point where I would go to the visits. And one less kid was there. And I would go to another visit. And another kid would not be there. And you're to talking about your siblings, right? You'd go there and then... One sibling would be missed, you know, wouldn't be there. And then you go back and another sibling wouldn't be there. Yeah. Okay. To the point where I was going to visits and I was there by myself because nobody was letting me know, like, you would no longer be having visits. They wasn't letting me or my workers know anything. I was literally showing up to these places with snacks and toys and everything for my siblings. Like I would do every visit and nobody would show up and you they only put me in a more deeper state of depression. Like, and I just, every chance I got, I just did not want to be around no more, like, at all. And then it was like, well, they were adopted. And first they told me, you know, even then they get adopted, I still be able to see them. Mm -hmm. But then the foster parents reneged and said, you know what, we don't want to have them to have nothing to do with, which wasn't fair. Like, I didn't do anything to them. Mm -hmm. They were big, like I didn't, you know. They don't. None of us deserve it. We, they, we all we know of each other. So, they were aware that you had siblings and wouldn't allow you to communicate with them. Yeah, mm. they all decided because they was all in the process of getting adopted, and they all decided. Oh, at first it was be, even though it was adoption, she'd still be able to see her siblings. Their siblings will also be able to see each other. But then they all decided behind to the judge they didn't want to the foster parents, adopted parents decided they didn't want to have nothing. It was too much for them to deal with. So they didn't they decided no more visits. They decided it was okay to break up a family. Even yeah. more. Yeah. yeah. Wow. At that point, I do have a question. Because in um, the Child Welfare Information Gateway, the first thing they talk about is placement decisions. 
and they're talking about placements being made is important for the child's safety, uh, beyond safety, their well-being, continued connection to their community, uh, the needs of the child, caretaker's ability to meet their needs. Now, when you take into effect that they are trying to keep the well-being of the child and what's best for the child at the center, it and it's it's plain as day right here that you're supposed to be adhering to the safety, well-being, and welfare of a child. So I don't understand how separating already traumatized siblings, right. separating them, and then saying it's too much of a chore to give them st the stability to keep a relationship with each other and it, it, uh, on top of being shuffled around. So my next question is, given this failsafe, just falling through the cracks where that's concerned, were you able at all at some point to find, link up, or reconnect with your siblings? So as after I got older, I became grown. Um, before I became grown, my brother, even though he was adopted, he mm -hmm. was put back and he was put back into the system. Yeah. So. Mm. Um, so how many? How many? How how long had he been with this family before they put him back in the system? Do you know? Um, I don't know. Okay. I just know that I was in high school, and um, and. I was in high school and my social workers told me that my brother was at the facility I used to be at, which was Silver Springs, and they wanted to arrange visits for us. And I was super ecstatic, like, yes. So we started having visits. When I would have cookouts, I made it a point to have make my, have my social worker and his social worker link up so that way they could come, he could come to my house for events. Um, to the point where even when he got moved from one facility to another, I will travel on the bus all the way up from North Philly to Chestnut Hill to go visit him and take him birthday stuff and Christmas stuff. Like I was so excited. Mm -hmm. Um but uh then when I I had my son at 20, I got pregnant with my son at 19, I had him at 20. My brother was there for his for nephew. He got to see him. Um, and then uh, before I got pregnant with my son, I filmed my mom at 18. And I wanted to give her a chance. They told me if I gave her a chance, I couldn't talk to my brothers. I, my brothers and sisters, I can talk to them but or him, but I could not allow them to talk to each other because she had lost all rights. So even though me and him was socialized, I wouldn't put him, if I, even though I was living with her, I moved in with her at 18, um, I wouldn't put him on, I wouldn't give her the phone. I wouldn't let them talk. And my brother felt some type of way about that. Um, I had also feel my sister because my baby sister was at the same home that she was at, that we went to together. So also her foster mom was like, you know, if you're going to go deal with your mom, you can't talk. She was like, you can't talk to her. 
So I, I had to cut all contacts with my sister in order to give my mom a chance. Wow. And then and then after after that, once I once it didn't work out with me, my mom, and I moved back to from Delaware back to Philadelphia, um, I was able to reconnect with my brother. I was able to reconnect with my baby sister. I had my son. And then I moved up Germantown. And then I found out that my other sister was also back in the system. And she was at the same facility that my brother used to be at. Um, The second one he was at. Because at this time, my brother is now 18. He aged out by the time I had my son. And he decided to move and give my mom a better chance. So now he's not talking to me because he felt like I kept them apart. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the only way we was able to connect. But yeah, they were both. Both my two, my my one brother and my one sister was both put back into the system, even though they were adopted. They foster parents, they adopted parents, put them back into foster care, um, for different reasons, and didn't want nothing else to do with them. Do you are you in touch with any of your siblings now? Um. So recently, I just buried. We just buried our mother. Um, a few, a few, some weeks ago, a little, um, well, the end of last month, and because of her finding out she was sick and in the hospital and hospice, it actually brought us all back close together because I had to relay a message. I had to get in contact. I had to find a way. Like, we were in contact on and off with each other mm-hmm. as adults, but it just wasn't seeming to work out at the time, like, because everybody was still stuck on reliving the past. Mm-hmm. And I trying to move forward with the future. Um, but I had recently um was like I I can't deal with this hurt and pain anymore. So I gave my life to God. And I told him just to deal with he can just take it all and deal with it how, how he fit please, how he feeds feel best for it. And then when with this whole situation happening, it kind of brought it didn't bring us all closer together, but it brought that relationship that I had with my brother back. Mm. Um, because we were really close. We were. And um me and my once me and my baby sister, we we've been close, we've been close since my since um I moved back to Philadelphia after. So we've always had like a, a really close relationship. Um my other sister is still touch and go with her. Mm. And um my brother who who my brother who was raised with my mom, um it brought him, I, I can't say it brought him closure to the situation because he only understands her side of the story. He don't understand our point of view of with, of our lives growing up and what we went through to get into where we were at in foster care because he didn't have to live that. So, mm. it's, so it's like a one day at a time with him. But for other family members, we are, you know, they're starting to realize and understand like the difference of things that's going, that's happening. And um, I'm just happy that, you know, I was, it was just like a weight lifted off. Because my one foster mom used to tell me all the time, I walk around with the weight of the world on my shoulder because I was in like this dark place. And like, I was just an emotional, emotional child, like emotional adult, emotional teenager. Like, and it's just like nothing, no matter what people say or nothing, what people do was going to change how I felt about anything. And it seemed like you take that one step forward, 
mm-hmm. just to get four steps back. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, one of our viewers um, is identifying with your story. Um, the um, this particular viewer was um, a, a mom of one a mom of of one child. Um, She had been married and divorced, but they were uh, raising the child, you know, amicably. Um, But she says that she identifies with your story because uh, she is now the parent of her sister's children, multiple children. And she said that she... Uh, identifies with the trying to keep them out of foster care and trying to keep them together as one unit. But she said she she felt like that that was really important. And she didn't get them until until her son was practically grown. So she was finished living her life as a mom, so to speak. And now she's starting over with these small children, uh, elementary age children, uh, because her sister passed. And then when, so when her, in, in this person's story, when the sister passed, the children went to grandma and then grandma died. And so this person uh, went and got the children from the grant from her mother from her mother's house and has been raising them for a while. And she said that was her biggest thing was that she did not want to, um, she did not want the children to be separated. So um, already your story is, uh, is uh, already your story is inspiring. Yeah. Like I know for a fact, it's hard to keep siblings together. Um, especially when it's a lot of them and a lot of people and it depends on the different ages and even though we were all really little like some people they have that idea of wanting a certain type of child and they're like oh I prefer a baby you know because older kids you know I don't want nobody over a certain age because they already dealt with the drama the trauma and I don't want to have to help them through it and which is understandable because, like I said, as a child, me going through it, I found out that who I thought was my father wasn't my father. And everything he was doing to me made sense when I was once I was placed into foster care. Mm-hmm. So the person who I, I thought was my father was really my stepfather, was really my brother's and sister's father. Mm-hmm. So it was all of their father. And I'm like, I don't want to hate my brothers and sisters for what their father did to me, but then what makes sense on why I was the one getting hurt. Like I was, when my mom came home late from whatever she was doing, I was the one who got thrown against the wall. I missed so much school due to black eyes and hickeys and cuts and bruises all over my face and body that the school district is who called social services on my home. Because I was coming to school, either I was coming to school hungry, or I was coming, or wasn't coming to school at all. Um, I couldn't participate in anything the school was having. 
for any reasons, even when they say they will pay for, you know, how every day one teacher, oh, I'll pay for her to go, just let her go. Mm -hmm. No, she can't go. Like, it was like, you, I can't be left alone with certain people because they felt like I was going to talk mm -hmm. into what was going on in the household. The, it got to the point where 911 knew my voice when every time I called. Wow. 911. Like, because we, you know, we didn't have cell phones then. It was all mm -hmm. phones. So they already right. knew. Up mm -hmm. the same house again. It's, the, it's that little girl. She's calling again. But I would call and tell them what's going on. And then the phone would go dead because my mom would come hang up. She would scream for me to call 911. But then when I called 911, she would hang up the phone. Mm -hmm. So the cop, you know, they got hip. So they would start coming out regardless. Because they had, they knew something had to be going on there. Mm -hmm. Um, like so, it is, it do become hard to keep, you know, because even, even with my brother, um, he has children, and I always tell him like, if you can't do it, I will take that child for you, so it could stay in my home, if stay in our family, rather than because we know how foster care is, we know how the system is. You have some workers that will go for bets for you. And then you have some workers that's only there for the paycheck. Mm -hmm. Because it becomes too stressful. So they just like, you know what? I'm just doing a bare minimum. I had a DHS, my DHS worker. I had the same worker from the time I was placed in the system. Even after I aged out, we were we still stayed in contact with each other. I can't mm -hmm. say this about other people because... Yeah. I have another viewer that's saying uh, that they uh, are foster. They are a foster parent. Um, they have, they actually, um, like you just mentioned, they um, had their goddaughter and they were just raising their goddaughter as their own. But then they entered into the foster system to be a, a foster parent. And she says that... Um, you're right. She's agreeing with you that um, one of, so she said her foster, her foster caseworker or the parent, she says she kind of see her every, at least every couple of weeks. She said, but for the kids, she sees that person. She hadn't seen them in like three months. Right. And that's, now, it gets like that. Now, I happen to know this person and they do watch the show. So I, I can tell you that, like you said, one or two of them can be good foster uh, houses. Um, I've seen her like making sure she treat them exactly like uh, her own, the first one. Oh, like, yeah. Foster homes, know. foster parents. They're 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 definitely are a touch and go. They they could be a hit or miss um, when it comes to foster parents. Mm -hmm. um, and it's but it's up to the DHS system, the the Department of Human Services system, mm -hmm. to find the right parents. And it's like they don't do they 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 don't do a complete job when it comes to looking for the right parents or just letting anybody foster. Um, you have some you have a lot of people out here who really are really good in this would do for the child like my last foster home mm -hmm. i love my last foster home she was good but when i got to that age where i was about to, where 
when you get older as a foster parent, you get a check every month, a stipend. I got, but as you get older, the stipend get lower because the child needs don't need as much, mm -hmm. and the child is either going to age out and go into independent living, or age or go to college, or just age out and just go on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, especially once they don't decide they don't want to be adopted, and um, me and my foster mom got into it because she wanted me to contribute, you know, pay something towards like give her part of my check for whatever job I was working and I'm like why you know as a 17 year old person I'm like why why do I gotta give you my check like don't the state give you a check for me mm -hmm. you know you know even though that even though they give you a check it doesn't cover everything that I might have in my closet you know it doesn't cover all the trips that we went on and all the vacations we went on and every time we went out to eat it didn't cover that but me as a teen as a kid in foster care I didn't see that I don't see I don't know how much they're giving giving the person but you learn it as you get older but it's like why do I gotta give you a part of my check like it's not much as is like I'm only getting like a little part-time work check because I'm still in high school but why do you want me to give you a part of my check so we got into it because of that and that's what made me at 18 go find my mom so mm -hmm. um it was like well if I'm gonna be somewhere and I gotta pay like I might as well just either go on my own or, you know, go find somebody who won't let me live with them for free. Because mm -hmm. at 18, like, why am I paying bills? I'm still, I'm still a child. Like, I didn't look at myself as 18, now I'm grown. I'm looking at, like, I, I, I still, I'm still learning. I'm still a kid. Like, why well, I got to pay you, why pay anything? Like, and later down, I found out, you know, she, she was like, you never knew what I was going to have do with your, with that money. Like, that was me trying to help you start off you know um, somewhere when you're ready so like but it is some families that will i have seen people or dealt with people that have wanted and it went to them and they and it was only giving it the child that live with them the bare minimum mm -hmm. i was in my last foster home i was being treated like a child that lived there like her own like it was never no oh you're just my foster kid like this is this is my kid like it wasn't oh like, yeah, granted, we did respite, but we also did a lot of vacations. I went on vacation. We went, She took us to Disney. We went to New York. We went different places to Virginia. We went places. Mm -hmm. um, I took uh, my first, first plane ride when I was with her. Like, so, you know, every once in a while, people need breaks. And I understand that. Shoot, I need breaks from my own kids every once in a while. They're my kids. But so I understand now as an adult, but as a kid, you don't understand the stuff that we're, you know, that school that on the other side. But you mm -hmm. see, like you, you see if that person is a good foster home, you're going to see that this person do the most for me with the minimum they're getting. But then you mm -hmm. see that this person ain't doing nothing for me and everything they get. Like I, I have an obsession, obsession with like IDTV and like Criminal Mind and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. And you see on there, like, you know, I didn't see like people on IDTV, people with their own kids, keeping them in like crawl spaces and not feeding them and uh, beating them and abusing them and not doing nothing and collecting a check, so either Social Security or a, or a um, foster check for them and not doing nothing for them. But providing for themselves or whatever their needs is 
but the child's not getting nothing. You know the difference when you see that compared to having a closet full of clothes, all this footwear you can think of, going places, you know, kid come in and go in and out with your friends until a reasonable time going out to eat. You know, just having fun living life and living like a child and doing extracurricular activities. I didn't want to go to my senior prom. My mm. foster mom told me I was going, she paid for everything. She just told me to pick what I wanted and she paid for everything for my senior prom. Mm -hmm. Out of her own, she didn't have to do that. But she chose to. She wanted me to experience the life. And every foster parent is not like that. So how are you... Today, Reva, do you still have moments when you go through these thoughts of suicide? Are you beyond that? Has your relationship with God helped you change that? Because you mentioned that earlier. How are you today? Um, I, I still have my moments. In the, in the beginning of the pandemic, I ended up actually being in the hospital for a month. Um. Due to suicide, trying to commit suicide, mm -hmm. um, it was just a lot going on in my life at the time, and it was selfish of me because I have children, mm -hmm. um, and everybody, but everybody, but like you know, you're selfish, but nobody understand like how, how everything start weighing on you to the point where you like your kids are better off, and mm -hmm. um, I was at a point where I feel like my children was better off. Um, I take, I'm in therapy. I take medicine. Um, I talk, I do Bible study. I talk to God. I'm learning to, to communicate better with him now to help with the difference of how I feel like right now. I still have my moments, but I have to look at my kids first because nobody can do back what I do for them better than I do. It. Amen. So, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a role. It's, um, I tell everybody, I take it it's one day at a time. It's one day at a time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a process. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, one of our viewers um, is relaying their thanks to you. Um, they say that this, this um, conversation, they're listening to the conversation, and they said that the conversation has uh, helped them. So... And that's that's our theme. Red Dragon and I um, have talked about that. Um, if we could help or inspire one person, mm -hmm. um, then we've done something to help our community. Right. So um, one of our listeners has said that they that your story has um, helped them. They got a lot out of this. Um, so. Another listener is asking, do you do you feel like you are going through PTSD? I do. I was diagnosed with PTSD. Okay. Um, I was diagnosed with depression, um, anxiety, severe anxiety, and PTSD. Mm -hmm. uh, I take medicine right now because I'm out of work and I'm the state I'm in. Because I'm out of work and I've been out of work due to my heart surgery, they mm -hmm. cut my medical. So I'm fighting right now to get my medical back going, um, uh, along with just everything else. And um, so that way I can get back on my right dosage of medicines, mm -hmm. which helps. Um, I have 
since I was a kid, I've had like really bad nightmares. And they're like, it's like, it's like, you ever seen, you ever seen Freddy Krueger? Yes. You know how like you're asleep, but you're, uh, you're woke in your sleep. Yeah. That's how my night, my night terrors are. Like it could be, it, it don't have to be like terrible, but my dreams when I'm asleep, I'm living them as, mm-hmm. as I'm, I'm not watching them. I'm interacting to the mm-hmm. point where I wake up like, did we really have this conversation? Mm-hmm. I have to go ask that person like, hey, remember we was talking about this? And they was like, we would, we never talked about that. And I'm like, no, yes, we did. We talked about this. I remember I had, I remember the full conversation. They were like, no, we didn't. We didn't have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's how vivid my my dreams are. Mm-hmm. So I take medicine to help with that because it's like to the point where I wake up in in hot sweats, like it's it's bad. Mm-hmm. But now I'm fighting with the welfare system, the states, to get my medical back on. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, I I am inspired in a different way. I'm inspired and I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed because we, a lot of us have lost our sense of family. And to hear your story, my first thought was, where's your aunties, uncles, cousins? Why are they knowing uh, what's going on in the home? They did. Okay. And um, it was a secret in my home. Okay, okay. My that, grandma, that was my question. Yeah, when yeah, I heard so that, as I got older and I start finding family, and it mm-hmm. was like, oh, so we was looking for you for years. Nobody knew we were in foster care. And then when wow. they did find out, when they did find out, they were already in like their own turmoil mm-hmm. with their own selves, like mm-hmm. you know, family dealing with all types of stuff on their own. They didn't have the means to take any of us. They couldn't help us. But it was years, like years, years, years later when they mm-hmm. found out we were in foster care. My grandparents didn't even know. That's, like everything that's was amazing. Like my mom kept every, everybody in the dark about mm-hmm. where we were at to the point where she went and hid. Like she moved to another state. She moved to. Chester County first, Chester, and then she moved to Delaware just to stay away from family. So they were, she wouldn't even run into nobody and they asked her, where are the kids? Mm. Especially me being the oldest and everybody knew me because she had me when she was 15. Mm-hmm. So for me to be, when for nobody to be able to see me, and these are people that used to have me all the time, they were, these are cousins that's only maybe 10 years older than me. Okay. My have aunts that's only about five years older than me. Mm. Like they were in, they nobody was in a position to be like, oh, I'll take the kids. Cause there's kids, they was almost most of them was kids themselves. And the adults was going through their own life mm-hmm. drama, life trauma. So nobody knew. Wow. Um, I'm um uh, when I hear this, my own experience through my brother. He lost all three of his, my nieces and my nephew. But the way it happened and how they got broke up, I don't want to revisit that. But 
listening to the system. We we look to this to say, here's a means for you, if you cannot handle the pressures of being a parent, we have these resources available. Utilize these resources. You utilize these resources and then families are being broken up, children are being traumatized, and the ball is literally being dropped because of what uh, these children are going through. And we have these caseworkers who have these astronomical caseloads. And there's miscommunication, there's no communication, there's no connection. And then you have the situations that are going on where you have large families, okay? And I'm talking about those that know because we knew. And a few of us did show up to try to take those kids in. And what is heartbreaking is how this strains the children because these are things set up to help those that cannot help themselves. And when you have a family dynamic where, you know, you're supposed to be a family, we're supposed to look out for each other, but then the children fall through the cracks. Then the children are left to pretty much fend for themselves, find family, try to connect, try to live through trauma, and you are adolescents. So it's heartbreaking. It's, it's disappointing. And the inspiration comes from your resilience. I, I want to... I want to tell you that I'm very touched, but really hurt, really hurt. I'll never see my aunt, my, my, my nieces and nephew. I'll never see them again. So when we hear about these things and we're like, you know, they're not in a good place at home, they need some place to go. And if this is all we got to give to to take these children in, to care for them and protect them, then I'm really scared. I really am scared. And I'm very disappointed at the 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 state of our our system when it comes to caring for our youth. It is it just is unfortunate because there are people looking to be parents to children that really need it. Right. But for some reason, they can't get past the red tape of what you just shared with us. So, yeah, that is disappointing, it's disheartening, it's heartbreaking, but I am still inspired by hearing how you, how you took it upon yourself to go and give your mother a second chance how you try to make amends and bring that the your siblings together. There is inspiration in that. There's that's where I find the inspiration because I'm like, man, where's our sense of family? And uh you you know, you so, are you epitomize family is what you make it. So, so I am inspired by that. The listener that said that um they took the sister's children from the grandma when the grandma died. They said that their family, they know what was ha happening, but no one would step up but her. 
She wow. took her sister's children and she said, now the family are saying to her that it, that if it, if it had not been for her, the children would have been in the system. And they would have been separated. And they would have been separated. But, but the family of these children who knew that these children needed this type of help wouldn't help. Yeah. And now that the this sister took these children, raised these ju- children, treat these children like they her children, even though she was done parenting. Mm-hmm. And she started over. And now these people are saying, these people in her family are saying to her, well, if it hadn't been for you, they would have been in the system. So this is where we are. I, I want y'all to um, take a look at um, a website called throughproject.org. They have a few stats on there and, and they talk about mentors and foster care. But um, some of the stats they have, mm-hmm. uh, each year, thousands of uh, children, each year, thousands of children on the 18th birthday age out of foster care. Okay. That's somewhere around, their their number for that is somewhere around 20,000. They have nowhere to go. Right. Um, and, and then they say that, um, I'm sorry, that's 49%. The ones, the ones going to, who actually graduate from school, um, that's about 73%. Okay. Um, Homelessness, 50%. Mm -hmm. That's what Reva just said, no place to go. Mm -hmm. But they did, um, at least from where I'm from, they they have started programs and um, even before aging out, it's called independent living. It was, it's their programs for kids that um, couldn't stay at their, where they at or did, um, couldn't live where they was living. The foster parent was like, okay, you're 18, you gotta go. Um, but long as they was in school and doing our work in school and doing what they supposed to do, it was independent living where they will provide housing for them until they're 21, um, 25, sorry. Um, and then they also had a place called uh, Valley Youth Housing, um, youth, where I was in, which was the people who aged out or or removed themselves from the system. If you're listening in Philadelphia, please listen to what she's saying. She's giving you some places. And they had a place called Youth Valley Housing will help you find housing and they will pay for your housing um until you're um I believe it was 23, 24. Uh so and they will provide help provide you. Now if you didn't have no children, you would roommate with somebody else in the program. But if you have children, you'll get the housing on your own. You know, you will be in the housing with you and your children. But they will pay your rent and all you have to do is pay your your bills. Like so, they is teaching you to work, um, be responsible, but you won't be out on the streets. And the programs work. I I was in a program until I aged out of it. Um, and then you have to be able to manage everything else on your own after that. 
um, this same website through project.org, um, 25% of um, adoptee uh, of foster care children um, will be involved in criminal justice system within two years of aging out. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised that number is so low. Yeah. Yeah. Would you so, say that if if there were mentors or or that's what this program is about is to, giving foster care people mentors. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I'm that's sorry. what this through project we is about. Mentors. Is about mentoring. Like while you were going through the uh while you all were foster children going through, like you had like mentors that could that you could go to. So back home, it was a program at 16, you joined this program. It's called AIC Center, um, mm -hmm. Achieving and Achievement Independent Center, where it mm -hmm. teach you life skills and you know, just dealing, you know, stuff to prepare yourself for when you got older. We had the mentoring program through there. You had mm -hmm. lifestyles, you had budgeting, management, housing, you know, you had cooking classes. I took my first hospitality class, um, course through there. And that's where I realized I, I liked it to do, I wanted to be in the hospitality field um, and plan. So they have this program help you and you get certificates for doing different things. A lot of the kids took advantage of the programs this program offered, but then some of the kids used it just as a way of being able to get off of their out of their home for a few hours or out of the um the placement homes they were in for a few hours and didn't really utilize what was being offered. But they have programs now. I don't know about other states, but right. in Philadelphia. That's what they offer to us. Um, I know every state is different when it comes to the foster care system and it comes to the um, Department of Human Service system. But um, if I'm not mistaken, most states do try to offer smaller programs for like similar to that and just mm -hmm. finding and utilizing what it is. And it's for even if you're adopted, if you're adopted before 16 and at 16, it's still you can still be a part of those programs. Mm -hmm. um to get just to help you with less like just living life on your mm -hmm. own so preparing you to live on your own okay and it's the mentoring programs they all they work because they listen to you we did fun things every year we used to go to the sixers on home opening and we used mm -hmm. to just do we used to have activities and talking and you and your mentor would do things one-on-one -on -one, and you pair with somebody that have the same interests as you and the same you know that will understand you and not just anybody because you you pair with somebody and you don't talk what's the point right right okay. i had wanted to um swing back when you were saying about families now granted even though i went and looked for my mom it didn't last mm. i only lived with her less than a year before i moved back home back to my foster last foster parents Mm -hmm. And then I started paying rent because I was no longer living here. I didn't have a problem with paying them rent because they took me back. They let me come back in. Mm -hmm. I didn't talk. I gave her another chance when I found out I was pregnant with my son. I went and visited her. By this time, she was living in Jersey. 
Um, I gave her two more chance. I talked to her. I gave her two more chances after I found out after my son was born. Um, and I didn't talk to her. Uh, but before she passed, before she was on her hosp her hospice bed, we hadn't talked in over fifteen years. Mm. Um, because of she she still had not had been able to take responsibility for her her actions and the role that played for us to be in foster care was placed in foster care and mm -hmm. I couldn't deal with that no more so I hadn't talked to her for over 15 years before she was placed in hospice before I got that phone call from a family member saying hey you need to call her your siblings and let them know your mom is in the hospital and she's not doing good so I do um, appreciate how you did try to reach out and I never understood that you know why would a child traumatize and they're old enough to know uh try to go back to that parent I never understood that with my own half brother but he did and I guess it's that that bond that you all have because that's still a family that's still your mom that's still your parent and I could really I didn't understand that, but listening to how you put that, it does kind of make more sense now. But it, I, it, it, it is inspirational how you chose to try to, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to give it a chance. But then at the same time, when you saw it wasn't going to work, you just cut those ties, realizing it just wasn't going to be healthy for you. And I just want to ask, when you realized that, how did that make you feel after going through all that and giving her a chance and then you finally realized, okay, it's just not going to work? I was heartbroken. Okay. I was still heartbroken because I'm like, um, I'm the oldest of all these kids. I've been with her. I grew with her. Like, before I was, like I said, she was 15 when she had me. It was mm -hmm. me and her. So, like, me as a mother, and it was me and my son a long time before my daughter was born. Mm -hmm. Honestly, like, we went, me and my son been through, he's been through everything with me. All the moving, all the just drama, just me, you know, me feeling like I couldn't do it no more. But he still was there with me. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, it just, it only hurt me more because I'm like, she gave up on me. But then it's like you contradict yourself because she told my sisters in one breath, I lied about being sexually assaulted. Wow. But in that same sentence, without a period, but I didn't know your dad was a child molester. Okay. Yeah. It hurt my core. And after that, I just stopped talking to her. Because wow. you can't, you just contradicted yourself in one breath. Mm -hmm. And you're not taking responsibilities for not being able to be there protecting me. Mm -hmm. But it's, the crazy part is, since her passing and reconnecting with like more family, because I had to go back to Philadelphia and, not, you know, we had to communicate and find more family and family who I don't remember, but remember me like it was no tomorrow mm -hmm. and the stuff that I learned it makes sense because mm -hmm. a hurt person is only going to hurt people mm -hmm. yeah. 
And if in the things that was being done to me, she couldn't believe that it was happening to her child of the same things that was happening to her when she was a child. But I didn't know none of it because she never opened up and talked to me. When we had a chance to talk, when she knew that this was, you know, we're adults now, and she still couldn't open up and take responsibility. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't believe you, but this, but nobody believed me when this was happening to me. So this is why I couldn't believe you. I had to find out these things after she's no longer here to tell me her story. Mm -hmm. So like I learned in a week's time of me preparing for her funeral, I learned so much more things. And even though it didn't give me the closure I wanted, it gave me the closure I needed. Mm -hmm. okay. How do you feel about the people um, that really did help you? Like, do you have any thoughts about that? Do you love them, hate them? No thoughts at all? Like, how do you feel about the people, the people in your life who actually really, really stepped out there and helped you? I appreciate them to the fullest. Um, because even though they were there to help me, we still had our ups and downs. So for them, for what they did to help me progress and to seeing the things for, and help me and be there for me at the time that I needed them, I'm truly thankful. And I appreciate every step of it. Um, My foster, my last foster parent, she passed away when my son was about six so like you know and I always said I appreciated her for being there for never giving up on me no matter how many fallouts how many times I threatened to leave how many times I said I was going to run away how many times I said I hated it there no matter what I did she never gave up on me when I moved in with my mom and then that didn't work and she let me she came she drove and came and got me and brought me back and for that, she will always have a place in my heart for that. Um, now, extended family outside of that, they was there, but they was there. I felt like they were there because it was she was there, and that was her family. Mm -hmm. um, I have friends that's close to me. My one best friend, I have two really good best friends, one that I had since I was 10 and one I had since I was 16. And both of them, I can go to them and talk to them about anything and everything. No judgment. They always be there. If I can be, I've been I've been in here in, in Texas two years. My one best friend's been down here at least she twice and ready to come back down and visit me again. Mm. Like she's she, I'll be like we out. I gotta get I gotta go on vacation. She'd be like, where we going? Mm -hmm. I need somebody just to talk to and cry to, and not even just to talk to. Just I just need to just let me cry on your shoulder. I needed a place to stay. She let me stay at her place. I need to help with my kids. She had me. I needed money. My phone was cut off or my electric was off. She found a way to find help me get some some cash to get get that back on. Mm. I love her to the core. Like, and I'm glad you found that love too. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad you found that love, that support. And, and she loved me like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just whatever. <laughs> I know I need a friend. I ain't got no friend. So she wants another friend. 
Well, yeah, I, I listen, I don't know, Reba, we might not have to have you come back on because yeah. um, we've been able to touch on not just foster care, but on, on so many different um, topics today. Um, it, y'all, y'all, y'all like, subscribe, follow, but uh, yeah, we, we don't want to keep, look, she are. She already got to go see about her kids, y'all. We don't need to have her on here on into the night. Oh, and, you seen you don't see her keep walking back and forth trying. To I saw that little head. <laughs> I saw that little head. I'm like, yeah, she all like, uh, mama, mom. Yeah. Hello. Just, yeah, I mean, you just don't know how happy I am to have you come and um talk with us today. Yeah. Um, I mean, this has been wow. I, I listen. I knew the story. I was inspired by the story. Mm-hmm. I heard the story again, and I'm over here trying to back back the tears again. Inspired yeah. again by the story. You mm-hmm. are one of the most strongest women I know. Thank you. And I am so happy to be able to say that I know you. This I is mean, one of the first. This is probably maybe the first or second time I'm able to tell my story without like completely like crunched into Yeah. Yeah, you almost had me over here. I was <laughs> I was trying to bad it bag. I was over here. I mean, this was um nothing nothing short of amazing mm-hmm. to have you here and share your story during um adoption month um national adoption month and um i want you all to if you live in the philadelphia area to take um some of those places that reva talked about if you need those that type of help um also you they now have a system now in the united states that if you dial 988 just three numbers 988 it will connect you with a mental health professional the suicide and crisis uh, lifeline it used to be called the national suicide prevention lifeline okay but now it's just down 988 um and we will have in the liner notes because I was I was so busy listening to the story, y'all. I didn't put I didn't put the links down there. Mm-hmm. But when you come back, you you'll have the links down there where I was. Um, I wanted the links for uh, the crisis hotline and some other places if you um, contemplating suicide. If you are a family member or a friend of someone, don't be afraid to intervene. Mm-hmm. If you see them hurting, and sometimes it's hard when someone is depressed because they mask it, but don't be afraid to try to get them some help. If you got to put them in the car and tell them y'all going shopping and then tell them, wait a minute, come on, I got to stop in here for a minute because I need to get get my get my medicine and tell them to go in there with you. And then when you get in there, say, doctor, here she is. Mm-hmm. Okay. People are hurting and need help. And who better to help them than those of us who are closest to them? So I come back and come back. 
watch the episode again. I'll have those links in there for you. I even just found a new one called the uh, Kate Foundation. And uh, I'll have that link in there for you. Um, also, I'll have a link in there for you to report uh, child abuse. If you see it, report it. If you see it, report it. None of this, I don't want to get involved in people's lives. It's not my business. If a child is being hurt, it's your business. It's your business. So I'll have that link in there as well. But again, thank you so much, Reva, for um, joining us, inspiring us for your courage for your resilience and we know that you touched one person because they told us right away they was like oh she inspired me mm-hmm. so that's a good thing red dragon um uh, i just want to add if you're in the st louis area there is the crisis nursery there are also uh different suicide teenage suicide uh, there is uh, uh, the safe place. Find you a fire station with the um, safe place uh, placard on it. And again, if you are a friend, a cousin, a sister cousin of someone who you know is being abused, um, look, I'd rather them hate me and I save their life by saying something then knowing and seeing them hurting and then one day they're gone and I could have did something to say or intervene so piggybacking off of that yes please intervene it is your business and if you family like you say you are then act like it protect and look out for one another also if there is a a program like big, big brothers big sisters in your area there is Try to see if you can join that and be a mentor. Um, mm-hmm. Go to like this the through program, through project. Try to be a mentor in the foster care system uh, if you can. Um, as we heard tonight, um, there is a need. There is a need. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be waiting until Christmas to right. give someone some toys. Mm-hmm. because they need more than toys oh the toys are great you can send me some toys if you want to <laughs> send me some I, get my you got my email you can send me some uh e-gift cards I, but <laughs> but adoptive children foster care children they need more than toys mm. they need more than toys they need the toys too but they need more than toys mm-hmm. so Try to join a, a mentoring program in your area, uh, wherever you are viewing us from. Um, Red Dragon, where can they connect with you on social you media? You guys can find me on Instagram as Red Dragon the Poet. You can also catch me as Infused Black Butterfly on Instagram and Facebook. And you can catch me on uh, Facebook as Trap Tree. Baby, I got all different personalities. And I'm always talking to encourage and inspire. So check me out. Um, 
now I want to thank you for listening tonight. Oh, tune in next week on our next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, because that one, that's November 20th. That's another adoption story. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are honoring a national adoption month with a couple of stories of about adoption. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow. Listen here on YouTube as well. Visit our webpage and uh, listen to the new song on Faith Face playlist. Don't forget to go check us out. And uh, remember, as always, um, we're a masterpiece, not angry. Never that. Never that. We're a masterpiece, <laughs> not angry. And we'll see you next time here on an Angry Black Woman podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I am so glad that you joined us and I really hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Come back and join us again for a next episode of an Angry Black Woman podcast. See you soon.